This reading is in connection with what we confess in Lord's Days 26 and 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which will be our text for the sermon this afternoon. One Corinthians six, starting at verse one. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not do you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but the brother goes to law against the brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed you are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's sing Psalm 42, verses 1 and 3. And as you're singing, notice how the psalmist draws attention to the hope of comfort, love, help, and favor for those who are looking to the living God as above as their personal refuge and savior.
church confesses in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Days 26 and in question and answer 72 and 73 of Lord's Day 27. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins, just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. So far from the catechism, the sermon for this afternoon was prepared by Pastor Rick Vanderhorst from the Grace Canadian Reformed Church in Winnipeg. Beloved Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
over the course of a day, we will undoubtedly make judgments about ourselves and our hearts. These judgments are often about our identity, about who we believe we are. Here's a list of random examples. I'm great at my job. I wish I were more attractive. I'm a failure. I'm good at sports. I'm no good at anything. I am worthless. I am popular. I'll never get over this sin. God must not love me. I'm smarter than that person is. I'm the black sheep of the family. And now, perhaps most of the time, we don't even realize that we are making these judgments in our heart. However, making these sorts of judgments in our hearts about who we are has a real effect on us. Often, it affects us in two different ways. First, many of these judgments tend to push us towards either pride or some kind of despair. For example, if a person believes he is worthless, it will push him towards despair. Second, if we often, we often live according to, our, according to our identity. For example, if someone identifies himself as the class clown, he'll tend to act that way. That's his identity, and so that's how he acts. Our identity impacts us in profound ways. And this afternoon, we are studying the doctrine of holy baptism. What I want us to see this afternoon is that baptism is also about identity. An identity that God gives us. Baptism is about who we are in Christ. You see, God wants us to identify a certain way in our Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is given to strengthen the belief in our hearts about who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. This helps us in, the, in this life in so many ways, as we hope to see this afternoon. And so that brings us to this sermon theme. Baptism is about identity. Who am I in Christ? This, mass, this message of baptism helps us when we are struggling with doubts of salvation, battling against sin, or dealing with the troubles and trials of life. Baptism is about who we are in Christ. Let's look for a moment at what Lord's Day 26 and the first part of Lord's Day 27 say about this. What are some of the messages of baptism? As surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly Christ's blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. Christ's blood cleanses us from all sin. The Spirit of God makes us spiritually alive so that we can obey God rather than sin. This is also not a complete list in Lord's Days 26 and 27. Baptism pictures other things too. It proclaims to us that in Christ Jesus, we are justified before God, new creatures with a new nature, adopted into God's family, temples of the Holy Spirit, and heirs of eternal life. Baptism Baptism is also meant to separate the people who belong to God and those who belong to Satan, the people of the world and the people of the church. God is declaring to those who God is declaring to those who are baptized, I have claimed you. You are my church. There's a negative side to baptism as well. Baptism is also a message of judgment. It's a message of judgment to people who do not believe. Think of the Old Testament events that symbolize baptism. 
there were two such events, the great flood in Noah's time and the crossing of the Red Sea. Both of these waters symbolized baptism. And these waters were judgment were waters of judgment for those who did not believe. We can think of the unbelieving world and Pharaoh and his army. It's the same thing with our baptism. If we refuse to believe, then the waters of baptism are waters of judgment. However, even though this message of judgment is there in baptism, baptism is not meant to discourage those who are weak in faith. There is a difference between struggling with doubts about salvation and outright rejecting Christ. Sometimes God's children can really struggle with assurance. They face many doubts about salvation. Maybe they actually wonder if they're under God's judgment. And then things can go in a downward spiral. Am I really God's child? Maybe I'm not one of his chosen ones. After all, if I were God's child, why would he let me struggle with thoughts like these? Why doesn't God do something? After all, I've struggled for so long. Beloved, it does not work that way. God has done something to help you with your doubts. He's given you baptism. How does God move us from a weak faith to an ever-increasing faith? God uses means, and one of those means is the sacrament of baptism. God uses something that comes to us from the outside to change our thinking on the inside. God comes to us with baptism from the outside, not the inside. And he declares to us in that baptism, here, look at this. Believe this identity in your heart. Stop doubting and believe what this baptism proclaims to you. Look at what we confess in question and answer 73. There we confess, God wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. If you want to grow in faith, then understand and believe the message God is proclaiming to you in baptism. So what difference does this identity make? Perhaps an illustration can help. It's a story about a soccer team that Pastor Tim used in his Christmas Day sermon. We heard from him then that Jesus is the ultimate one-man rescue team. And it's also a helpful illustration to bring back up in this context. In the summer of 2018, the world was captivated by news out of Thailand. Twelve boys from a soccer team along with their coach got trapped in a cave. They were out exploring a cave one afternoon and suddenly they realized that water had come in and blocked their exit out of the cave. Rising cave waters forced them further and further into the blackness of that cave. There they sat, trapped, with no way out. They were four kilometers inside that cave with no hope. Way back in that cave, those waters separated them from life outside. If they tried to get through those waters on their own effort, they would surely die. So they were without hope and death seemed inevitable. But then, about 10 days later, some divers came through the waters and found them. They came to rescue them. Eventually, they brought them out. They sedated the boys with medication and then they carried them through those waters safely to the other side. Those boys did absolutely nothing to save themselves. All they did was pass through those waters by the strength and work 
of someone else. And when they exited that cave, what a feeling of relief and joy they must have felt. We have been saved against all odds. We have been saved. Now we have hope. Now we are on the side of light and life. We are no longer sitting in the darkness, doomed to die. We are free. Beloved, that is similar to us in the message of baptism. By our sin and folly, we plunged ourselves into darkness and ruin, and we were left without hope. We had it worse than those boys trapped in the cave, because we were not trapped. We were spiritually dead. We were without hope. In order to be saved, we would need to pass through the judgment of death and then rise again on the other side. None of us could do that by our own efforts. We would simply die. None of us can pass through God's judgment on our own and live. But thanks be to God, he came to us when we were without hope to rescue us. He sent us his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from that hopeless state. What did Christ do? Scripture says we are joined to Christ in his death and resurrection. Just like those boys were brought through those waters out of the cave by those divers. Christ, our perfect one-man rescue team, has brought us through death into life by his own merits. Now we are raised with Christ into eternal life. He has rescued us from our hopeless condition. Baptism symbolizes this change. Baptism symbolizes this passing from death to life and salvation. In baptism, we move from one side of the water to the other. It's not that the water of baptism itself saves us. However, it represents the salvation Christ has given to us in bringing us from death to life. By passing through those waters of baptism, God is assuring you of this saving work of Christ. He's proclaiming to you that in Christ, you now stand on the side of resurrection. You stand on the side of eternal life, on the side of light, and on the side of freedom and joy. Just like those boys were moved from the darkness and death of the cave to the light and life outside of the outside world. And 1 Corinthians 6 affirms this change. It says, You were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's all by the grace of God and it's all by the merit of Christ. God is saying to you who have been baptized, look at your baptism and now believe that this is who you are in Christ. Stop doubting and believe. If you have not been identifying yourself in this way, then start. Start doing it today and do it every day. Yes, you might struggle still with thoughts of doubt and fear, but that's okay. It might take time for this to sink in. But this is why baptism doesn't only benefit a person when the waters are first placed on them. You can look to baptism every day, and we had the awesome privilege of being able to witness one right before our eyes here earlier today. Each time, remind yourself about who you are and what you have in Christ. That is the way to everlasting, to increasing faith. brings us to our second point. This message of baptism helps us when we are battling against sin. 
Having given us this identity in Christ, God now calls you to live according to that identity. As I said in the introduction to the sermon, we tend to live according to how we identify. God has given us an identity in Christ, and now he calls us to live according to that identity. In fact, this identity is the very thing we need to fight against sin and to overcome sin. Look at how this works in our reading from 1 Corinthians 6. Paul rebuked the Corinthian Christians because they were making lawsuits against each other and taking each other to court. Things got so bad that he says, why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. It's terrible enough to defraud anyone, but how can a Christian defraud his fellow Christian? It's outrageous. And so Paul warns them saying, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, right now, by your behavior, you are affirming your old identity apart from Christ. That's your old life. That's who you used to be. So, first he warns them, make no mistake, it's those people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So make sure you turn from that old sinful way of life. But then he reminds them of who they are in Christ. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Basically, he's saying, why are you living in a way that is completely opposite of who you are in Christ? It doesn't make sense. God has not only changed your status, but he's also changed your spiritual condition. To drive this home, let's think of those boys trapped in that cave again. For over two weeks, those boys were in that cave. They were forced to live a terrible life in that cave. They were trapped. They weren't free to live as they were created to live. The life they lived was more like death than like life. But then they were rescued and they were brought out of that cave. How will they then live once they are rescued? They will live as free people. Does it make sense for them to continue living like they're still trapped in that cave? Of course not. They're now free. If one of those boys, after being rescued, pretended like he was still in the cave, people would tell him, why are you living like that? That's ridiculous. You're free. You can live properly now. Stop living like you're still in that cave. And that's similar to how it is with us. Being joined with Christ in his resurrection, pictured by baptism, we are not only forgiven and justified children of God, but we are raised to a new life and given a new nature. We have been set free from sin. We can now live the way that we were created to live. It makes no sense to live like we were still on the side of sin and death. That's our old identity of death. You can see how this works further on in 1 Corinthians 6. Corinth was a city known for its sexual immorality. It appears that the Corinthian church struggled in this matter. To teach them to flee sexual immorality, what does Paul first teach them? He states again who they are in Christ. Listen to verse 15. 
Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Since you are joined to Christ and he is your head, that means this. Your body is a part of Christ's body. And so, when you do things with your body, it's as if Christ himself were doing these things. How then can the members of Christ engage in sexual immorality? Don't you see that you are defiling the body of Christ? The Apostle Paul does a similar thing in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Since you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, when you do the when you do things with your body, it's as if the Spirit himself were doing these things. Don't you see then how wrong it is to live a life of sin? You are then defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember, beloved, baptism represents the change we have. It's declaring to you, you are members of Christ. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You were bought with a price. Therefore, act according to that identity. Honor God in your body. If we live how we identify in Christ, we will learn to please the Lord. This message of baptism also helps us when we are dealing with the troubles and trials of life. That's our third point. Baptism proclaims to us that we have been raised with Christ. Because this is true, it helps us throughout our life. As Belgic Confession Article 34 says, baptism benefits us not only when the water is on us and when we receive it, but throughout our whole life. This identity gives us the rock-solid foundation to face all the trials and suffering of life. We might find our identity in many different things. Maybe it's in our job. Maybe it's in being athletic. Maybe it's in a relationship or something else. And strictly speaking, there's nothing completely wrong with that. But we must know this. All of those other identities can be damaged or taken away from, the, from us through the brokenness of life. What happens to us if we have built our identity completely on those things? As Tim Keller has said, our world is shaken to its core when things go wrong. You could build your identity completely on your career. It can easily, work to, easily lead to workaholism. It can also lead to heartbreak when things go wrong. What happens then if you lose your job or make mistakes at work? The thing that makes you who you are has then failed you. You have no more foundation upon which you stand. And there is nothing helping you to keep going in life. What happens if your identity is entirely built on being a good athlete? Well, you will do everything that you can to try to hold on to that identity. Why do you think all those superstars come out of retirement again and again? They have no identity apart from sports. What happens if you get injured or cost your team the game or get too old to play sports? Again, you will suffer terribly. The very core of your identity is gone. How then, how then can I live? If your identity is entirely wrapped up in having a boyfriend or girlfriend, what happens if that's lost? If that relationship fails, then you feel like your life is ruined. And we could go on and on with countless examples. 
any identity apart from Christ can be lost in the suffering and brokenness of life. But against all of that, God gives us the good news of baptism. He proclaims to us an identity that is rock solid. This identity is not taken away by the sufferings of this life. That's because it's tied to Christ and what he did in his death and resurrection. Christ stepped into everlasting life by his resurrection and has taken us with him. Christ cannot be destroyed by the brokenness of life. He cannot die, and we share that. We share in that everlasting life. And so if I am in Christ, I might lose my job, my possessions, my health, a spouse, a car, a business opportunity, whatever it might be, but none of that has affected this identity. You can hold on to your baptism and the message it proclaims in Christ and say, I will always have this. Now, all of that doesn't mean we can't mourn when we face the brokenness of life. It doesn't mean that we're not affected by difficult things. No, you may mourn and cry out to God as you go through pain. It's natural and fitting to do so. But, when, but what it does mean is that God has given you an anchor by which you can face all the storms of life. You can say, I have been baptized. I can trust that I belong to God through Christ. I can always lean upon this, no matter what I might go through. It won't be taken away from me. This can help you too if you have ever been hurt by other people. When you have been hurt badly by other people, it's hard not to make that experience your identity. And again, it's true, it will have a deep, deep impact. You might cry out to God if you have been hurt by others. But baptism declares to you that no matter how badly somebody has hurt you, that person cannot take away what God has given you in Christ. Christ has bought you body and soul. You belong to him. And you will one day be with him forever, no matter what someone else has done to you. This identity that God gives us in baptism helps us in so many ways as we look to the future as well. I think of some of the younger members in, among us. As you live through the teenage years and into your early 20s, often you have many big life decisions to make. You have career choices. You might be trying to find a spouse. It might be hard to even know how to identify yourself. Who am I even? It can be hard when those life decisions don't work out like you want them to. And then you might struggle with questions such as, what's my purpose in this world? I can't seem to get my life together. I feel like I don't have direction in life. But in those moments, remember your baptism. God has given you a beautiful direction in your baptism. Baptism isn't just about what God has done for you in Christ but about where he is taking you. He is taking you to the new heaven and the new earth. Eternal life is coming. And so God says to you, trust this message in baptism. Build your life on this identity. Even if all the other things seem to go wrong in your life, this will not. I guarantee it because it's built upon my promise. It's built upon what Christ has done and so it will not fail you. 
Even if you feel directionless, just serve God. It's not going to waste. God will reward any work that you do for him in faith, and you will find fulfillment along the way. Beloved, God has given us so much in baptism. Look to this always to give you the identity, direction, and anchor you need at all times. Amen.